0: Thank you for listening to this message from South Ridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply his word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on SouthRidgeCC.org. So let's get started.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Nathan Taki. I'm the lead pastor here at Southridge Community Church. It is so great to have you join us this morning. Whether you're here for the first time, if you were invited by a friend, uh, whether you're here for hundreds of times, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this Easter morning. If you're also seated all the way in to the top of the balcony, we realize you've got some visibility line challenges. Uh, we're actually working on some solutions to that. So yeah, thank you for managing that and thank you for joining us as well. We're going to dive right in this morning. And uh, in a few moments, we're going to look at the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, We're in a series in that book. Before we get there, in 2015, Microsoft built what is now in the Guinness Book of World Records as the quietest place on the planet. It's called an anechoic chamber. The word anechoic means without echo. It's located in Microsoft's headquarters in Redmond, Washington, and it has, it registers at minus 20 decibels. A few minutes after you're in this room, the pictures will be on the screens. A few minutes after you're in this room, you'll hear your own heart beat. A few minutes after that, you can hear your bones grinding and blood flowing through your arteries. It's so unsettling that nobody has actually been able to tolerate being in that room for even an hour. Most people make around 45 minutes if they really try. When you turn your head, you can hear the motion of your bones grinding together. You can hear yourself breathing and it's actually pretty loud. Fascinating thing, is that what we often regard to be quietness in our normal lives is actually quite loud. A library reading room typically registers around 40 decibels. Again, this room measures around minus 20. The point of the chamber isn't that you will hear nothing, but that it will remove other outside noises and allow you to hear the endless sounds of your own body. It's encased in a 12-inch concrete wall on the outside. There's six layers of concrete and steel. And then in this, inside is this room. As I think about that, friends, the fact of the matter is sometimes what is most real is not necessarily what has the highest decibel level. Sometimes what is most real is not necessarily that which gets our attention first. Your heart beating, your lungs breathing, the blood flowing through your arteries, those things are real, but they're not necessarily the most obvious. Sometimes it's actually when the decibels are turned down, Sometimes it's when the noise is eliminated that we actually begin to hear what is most real. And one of the things every cultural analyst will tell you is that we live in a world that's pretty cranked up on decibel levels. We live in a world where decibel levels are pretty high. And as a result of that... We're often in jeopardy and often in danger of actually missing that which is most important. One of the reasons we dive into Scripture here at Southridge is precisely because we believe that what is most audible sometimes is not that which is most true. Reading into Scripture enables us to turn down the decibel level of what is most obvious and actually enables us to hear that which is most true, that which is most foundational to our lives. Scripture is God's revelation to us. What if what is most real is actually less audible? What if what is most important, most true, most foundational is not quite so obvious? What if we have mechanisms that keep us from actually hearing what is most true? What if what's on TV, on the radio, on the advertisements, on the news really isn't what is most foundational for life? Sometimes what's spiritual seems squishy, but what if it's actually most real? We're going to dive into a few verses at the end of Revelation this morning. It's Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the book of the Bible. The way the Bible works, whether or not you're familiar with it, sometimes the books aren't necessarily arranged in chronological order. We won't get into that this morning, but the books in the middle of the Bible sometimes are not really in chronological order. But what is true is that Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible, Revelation is at the end of the Bible, and they are the bookends of the story of Scripture. Genesis talks about our creation. First two chapters of Genesis talk about how we got here, why we're here on this planet, what's gone wrong with the story, why there's pain and suffering in our world. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about that. Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of Scripture tell us about a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth when everything is redeemed and restored, and in between is the story and the drama of God pursuing us. And so Genesis and Revelation are the bookends of Scripture. Genesis 1 and 2 are the beginning of Genesis. Revelation 21 and 22 are the end of Revelation. And we're going to be looking at the end of the story after after God has pursued us in the drama of redemption, and we're going to tune in to Revelation chapter 22. I'm going to ask to come up, and she's going to read verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 22. i just kind of zone into these verses as she reads.
0: Then the angel, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever.
1: <clears throat> Thank you, Sheer. In those verses, there are three things that Revelation points us to that turns down the noise level, gets rid of some of the decibels and points out three things that are most essential for what it means to truly be alive. Things that are truly foundational to life. Things that you may not hear at 100 decibels and yet are essentially the foundation of what it means to have life. Number one, we find cleansing water. There's cleansing water. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. By the way, um, yeah, Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Listen to its purity. As clear as crystal. It's not contaminated. It's not polluted. Flowing from where? From the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, and probably many of us in the room aren't, when you hear that verse, there's actually some connections all the way back, again, to the first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Here's what Genesis chapter 2.10 says. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. Throughout scripture, water is this literal thing that gives life to God's creation. It's also symbolic of that which is flourishing. Water is essential to life. Around 2 billion people Around the world today do not have access to clean water, safe drinking water. Approximately 3.6 billion people, 46% of the world's population, lack adequate sanitation services. 700 children die every day from diseases linked to unsafe water, sanitation, and hygiene. In Sub-Saharan Africa, women and girls spend an estimated 40 billion hours a year collecting water. Every two minutes, a child under five dies from a preventable waterborne disease. Hygiene promotion, according to the World Bank, is the most cost-effective health intervention. Timely hand hygiene prevents up to 50% of avoidable infections acquired during healthcare delivery. Listen, friends, water is important. It literally gives us life. It enables life to flourish. But another aspect of water that you just heard in the data I read is that also provides cleansing, it provides sanitation. And so water throughout Scripture is viewed in exactly those ways. We receive the water of life from God. It gives us life. It enables us to flourish. But Scripture also says the challenge is there's also contamination, that we're separated, we're disconnected from the God who created us. And therefore, Scripture also uses water as a picture of cleansing. It's a picture of being washed clean. Notice again in Revelation 22, 1 and 2, let's highlight again where the water comes from. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Listen, friends, your life is not by accident. You don't belong to yourself. You didn't vote to give yourself light. Your life comes from the throne of God. You're here because you were intentionally created. You're not your own deal. You're not your own deal. You are here because you're God's deal. God created you. Your life comes from the throne of God. But also notice the river comes from the throne of the Lamb. And from the throne of the Lamb comes the washing, cleansing presence of God. In this room, Good Friday, we we celebrated Jesus' death on the cross. And from the cross, from the death of the Lamb, the person of Jesus on the cross, comes the cleansing of God's forgiveness to you. Maybe just a couple of Takeaways from that. Number one, probably some of us in this room or online, we've never really come to terms with the fact that we're God's deal, not our own. Maybe we've never come to terms with the fact that God's given me this life, but it's also a life that falls short of the glory for which he created me. It's contaminated, violated, and sabotaged by sin and evil and darkness. And maybe the deal for you this morning is to actually acknowledge your life is a gift from God and only He can bring the cleansing that you need. Throughout Scripture, water is this picture of the life giving presence of God. So maybe this morning, your first step is to say, God, I open my life to your life-giving presence through the person of Jesus who washed me clean through the blood of the Lamb. Maybe for some of you, you've kind of made that decision months, days, years ago. We're going to have a baptism service coming up here in June. And Scripture says that what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to be baptized. Baptized. And baptism is this beautiful, visceral, physical picture of literally being washed clean by water as we're brought into the water. Maybe the step for you is to decide Easter Sunday, 2023, to be baptized this year. To actually take a step of obedience to the one who washed you clean. To take the step of the picture of the cleansing, washing nature of Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 5 says this, Jesus talking to this guy named Nicodemus, he says, verily, truly, I say, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit, of water and the spirit, of being washed clean. Titus chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, he saved us Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Maybe for some of you, it's a step of receiving that washing for the first time. Maybe for others, it's deciding to take a step of baptism to symbolize the washing presence of God in your life. Maybe for others, we've heard this thing thousand times but one more time back to those first two verses in revelation 22 notice it says it comes from the throne of god and the lamb notice what it says next it goes down the middle of the great street of the city in other words the the cleansing power of god's presence his cleansing washing of your life is not supposed to be down a side street it's not supposed to be something you think about once or twice a week. It flows down the middle of the great street. Again, this is metaphorical for the street of God's people. Let me just ask you a question Do you daily live in the life giving presence of God? Do you daily live with a sense of being washed clean? And knowing that he delights in you, or do you live under the weight and burden of failures and weaknesses? Listen, friends, you are washed clean. Has that sunk in? Has the and beauty and refreshing nature of God's love for you, the fact that you're washed clean, does that penetrate your life? on a daily basis, does that go down the middle of your life? Or is that kind of a side street deal? Is it sort of a no outlet street deal? Or is that right in the center of who you are? First one is cleansing water. The second picture that John presents is healing leaves. Healing leaves. Revelation 22, verse 2, on each side of the river... Stood the tree of life, having 12 crops, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. A couple things. Now, how often do trees typically produce fruit? Usually once a year, right? And notice this tree or trees on either side of the stream, the river, bear 12 crops of fruit. Yielding the fruit every month. Uh, this is a picture of bountifulness. This is a picture of over-the-top goodness. This is the picture of over-the-top fruitfulness. Of God's redemption and his restoration. It goes back again to Genesis chapter 2. In chapter 2 verse 9 we read these words in Genesis. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the best we can tell from looking at Genesis is that the tree of life was a tree that Adam and Eve never ate of. They would have eaten of it to sort of seal their permanence in terms of being God's children. But instead, God gave them the opportunity to choose whether or not they wanted to acknowledge Him as their provider or whether or not they would look to themselves as their provider. And so they ate of this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which basically was symbolic of them saying, we choose to find life in ourselves. God, we don't get life from you. Life doesn't come from your throne. We deliver our own lives. And the moment they did that, they become separated from God. And they never eat of the tree of life that would have given permanence to their communion and fellowship with God. And so the tree of life shows up in Genesis 2. And isn't it beautiful that it shows up in Revelation 22? Because now the tree is there. Now it seals the permanence of the life-giving presence of God flowing into our lives. Verse 3 says this, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, the healing of the nations. In other words, it's the healing, not just for one or two people. This tree is for the massive healing of people all over the world for all time. What does that look like? What does it look like for the healing of the nations? He goes on, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. You're as aware as as I am of some of the statistics in our day. 57% of teenage girls in 2021 report feeling persistently sad or hopeless. It's up from 36% in 2011. Similarly, 29% of teen boys feel persistently sad or hopeless, up from 21% a decade ago. 30% of teenage girls have seriously considered suicide, up from 19% in 2011. One author expressed it this way, we are living in a society-wide catastrophic loss of meaning. Record rates of anxiety, addictions, and depression attest to this. Our culture tries to respond in two ways, endlessly distracting via scrolling and streaming, or the creation of self-made, self-meaning through self-fulfillment and fabricated identities. But these are all devastatingly short of the divine joy and purpose that we long for. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a poem, and these are just some of the refrains in her poem. She says, "Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off the shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries." Dr. Justin Bailey says this: "Earth may be crammed with heaven, but our eyes and our ears are crammed." With earth we have this sense of disenchantment this estrangement that has happened in our society listen to what he says next pay attention to this he says there has been a loss of faith there's been a trauma of meaninglessness listen friends I realize the word trauma gets used for a lot of things these days, and appropriately so. But it has really weighed on me this week as I thought about what does it mean to have a trauma of meaninglessness. Friends, we live in a world, we live in a culture where there is a deep trauma of meaninglessness. And so we turn up the decibel levels so that we can be distracted from dealing with the trauma of meaninglessness. But turn down the decibels for just a moment. And the trauma of meaningless is at our door. The leaves of the tree bring healing. Healing. The leaves of the tree bring healing from the curse of sorrow, the curse of disease, the curse of loss, the curse of isolation, the curse of emotion, the curse of relational tension. The leaves of the tree bring healing from the curse of psychological pain, grief, fear, loneliness. The trees, the leaves of the tree bring healing from the curse of physical pain, envy, greed, lust, jealousy, estrangement, drudgery, monotony. The leaves of the tree bring healing from arrogance, pride, hubris, anxiety, depression, sadness, confusion, desperation. The leaves of the tree bring healing from the curse. And between a tree of life and the Garden of Eden, And the tree of life in Revelation 22 that's beside the river of the water of life, in the middle of that stands, the tree on which Jesus was killed. And it's that tree that enables us to eat from the tree of life at the end and for the curse to be removed. Listen, friends. We desperately need... The healing of the leaves of the tree. We need healing from our meaninglessness. We need healing from our grief, our despair, our anxiety, our fear. We need healing from our separation from the life giving presence of God. We look forward to that ultimately in the new heaven and new earth. But even now, we receive, we unite ourselves to Christ in faith. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you now with all joy and peace. Not as you waltz about, not as you go about your daily business, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. But it's not all up to you, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for you to experience at least a portion of God's healing now, he's not simply going to wave a magic wand You've got to actually trust in him. You've got to trust the truth of his word that he loves you. You've got to trust the truth of his word that you're cleansed. You've got to trust the truth of his word that he's got the puzzle of your life figured out. You've got to trust him. But it's not all your work. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the Spirit being at work in you. You know, as you've been around Southridge, you kind of know that I like getting my free ham, turkey, whatever, at right after you get your $400 thing. Uh, like, it's very important to me. I don't know why, it just is. Just, you know, just, I got to get the biggest, it just is. But here's the deal. I can earn my $400, I can get my $400, I can earn my turkey or my ham. But unless I go there and pick it up, it's not really mine. I can have access to it but having access to it does me absolutely no good until I actually receive it. So many of us, we have this intellectual awareness of what we have access to, but we never actually receive it. We know it, but we've never really received it in our being. We have it in our brain, but it's not in our being. You can't just be aware, it needs to be activated. It can't just be known. It's got to be absorbed. The truth of God can't just be informational. It's got to be operational in your life. And so for some of you, the truth of God needs to be more operational. That hope that he gives needs to impact and change your life. Maybe one other quick way of putting this real quickly. Let me ask you a question. Do you consume 50 calories worth of God's promises in a day, 50 calories worth of thinking and meditating on the fact that He loves you, that He cares for you, that His cleansing is toward you. Do you consume about 50 calories of that a day, but 5,000 calories of fear and anxiety and guilt and shame? What's your diet these days? Do you consume 5,000 calories of God's goodness and 50 calories of your guilt? Or do you consume 5,000 calories of your guilt, your shame, your inadequacy, your fear? Do you consume 5,000 calories of that per day and 50 calories of God's healing presence in your life? What's your calorie consumption these days? This last one, there's the cleansing water. There's the healing leaves. And lastly, there's the full light. Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I love that. I could stop right there. They will see his face. When you see somebody's face, you suddenly see clarity. When you see them from the back, you can't really distinguish who they are. Once you see their face, you see them fully for who they are. In other words, his name will be on their forts. Once you see the clarity of his face, his face, who he is, becomes your identity. Not who you are. Who he is begins to shape you. There will be no more night, no more confusion. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So John says there's cleansing water, there's healing leaves, and there's a light that gives clarity to who God is. That when in the new creation and new earth, you will finally, friends, you will finally see God for exactly who He is. He won't any longer be clouded by the murk and muddiness of doubt and fear. Your identity will be fully shaped in the beauty of a God who's glorious and good. And you will live in full light. Let me just kind of conclude with this story. Marshall Shelley and his wife Susan wrote this article called Two Minutes to Eternity. I'm going to read portions of it and other aspects of it. I'll summarize. Marshall Shelley says this. I was with my son his entire life. That was two minutes. Two minutes to eternity. He entered the world of light and air at 8.20 p.m. on November 22nd. And he departed, the doctor said, at 8.22. I was with him my whole life. And that whole life was two minutes. He said, it seemed very short, too short. My wife Susan and I never got to see him take his first steps. We barely got to see him take his first breath. I don't know if he would have enjoyed softball or software, dinosaurs or dragonflies, machines or math. We never got to wrestle, race, or read. We would, have, would we have enjoyed those things, like his older sisters do? What would have made him laugh? What would have made him scared, made him angry? But he says, in spite of all those questions, the one question that haunted him the most was this one question. Why would God create a child to live? He said so many tragic deaths can be blamed on human cruelty, foolishness, accidents. We've seen recent shootings in Nashville. At least you know who to be angry at. Accidents happen. At least you know who to be angry at. Said, when it comes to my child, living two minutes, who do you be angry at? Throughout the pregnancy, doctors and nurses would ask whether or not they were actually sure they wanted to bring this child into the world alive. They affirmed that they did. During the delivery, one of the nurses asked, Do you have a name for the baby? Toby, Susan said. It's short for a biblical name. Tobiah, which means God is good. Said we had long thought about the name for this child, we didn't particularly feel God's goodness at that moment. The name was what we believed, not what we felt. It's what we wanted to feel again. The Shelleys had three other daughters. Third daughter was not quite two years old when Toby was born and passed away. Third daughter was severely mentally disabled, unable to respond to her environment and just 3 months after toby's birth and death mandy their third daughter also entered eternity she was 2 weeks shy of her second birthday shelley says this why did god create a child to live 2 minutes He says he didn't. He didn't create Tony, Toby to live two minutes, or Mandy to live two years. He writes, He didn't create me to live 40 years, or whatever number He may choose to extend my days in this world. God created Toby for eternity, He created each of us for eternity. Where we may be surprised to find out our true calling, which always seemed just out of reach here on earth. Listen, friends, through Christ, through the cleansing water, through the leaves of healing, and through a fully clarifying light, you will experience. Who you're most created to be, not in this life, but in the new creation, who you're most created to be, what you're most designed for, you will actually experience in a new creation because Jesus was raised from the dead and ask our team to come out and in a minute we're gonna sing a song. One of our team members reminded me even before this service that yesterday evening service there were probably four people in the first half a dozen rows right down here in front who experienced some level of significant disability. Friends, listen, I don't care if you live 100 years old And when you die, you have a hundred million dollars to your name. Who you're most created to be will be experienced in the presence of the Lamb. Through cleansing and washing, through healing. You can have as much success now as you want. It's not essentially who you are. The greatest version of who you are through Christ is yet to be seen for all eternity. That's a pretty big deal. We're going to sing the song, Graves in the Gardens, references healing. There's leaves up here on the stage. There's some in the balcony as well on the tables. If you want to pick one up, you're more than welcome to come up, during the song. Realize it might be hard to scooch out of rows. We're cool with that. A little chaos is good for us. And so you can, if you'd like, you can pick up a leaf, stick it in your Bible, take it home. There's a couple of Sharpies here as well. If you want to write a word, you can. Maybe it's cleansing. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's grace. Maybe it's forgiveness. So if you want to write a word on your leaf, feel free to do that. If you want to just take it home and tuck it in your Bible to remind you that who you're most created to be is still to come. Deal? Let's stand and sing the song and if you want to pick up a leaf, just move out of your row at any time during the song, and come up here to the front, balconies, and uh, you can do that.
2: And I the world. Survey I never know that you came along and put me back together.
1: you are the only one who can, and you demonstrated that when you were raised from the dead. Thank you for the cleansing, washing of the water of life. Thank you for the healing leaves that take away the curse of sin, and thank you that one day... We will see your face, and there will be full clarity. We thank you that you're good. We're thankful that you're the only one who can, and that you did. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. 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 Hey, our prayer team is going to be down here to the right. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like to pray. If you didn't get to pick up a leaf and would still like to, feel free to come up to the front. God bless. Happy Easter. Have a great day.